the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Four types of soil, only one is fruitful. The three other do not produce fruit. And he's going to explain when he gives the meaning here, three different reasons that hinder fruitfulness in a Christian's life. Now, now hear this because all of you might recognize something in your own life that is hindering a little bit of your own fruitfulness. You love Jesus. You're born again. You're going to heaven. But you realize that your life is not really all that fruitful. Well, there might be one of the or more of these three reasons that Jesus says hinders fruitfulness. If you've been a believer for any given period of time, chances are you're more than familiar with the parable of the seeds and four soils. However, one of the common misconceptions is that this parable is solely discussing salvation rather than fruitfulness. As Pastor Gary will teach you in his message today, this parable is to address what hinders fruitfulness in the believer. In his study, you'll learn how to better recognize what might be holding you back from being more useful for the Lord. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. And Jesus says here, seven other demons will come and possess that man, and the final condition will be worse than the initial condition. And Jesus says, and thus it is with this wicked generation. So he speaks to his own generation, because basically saying, look, you all have been delivered of something, you have been given a great truth, if you reject it and you let your life lie empty, you are subject to greater torment and greater deception and the greater presence of evil. But in, con- in condemning his generation, he gives us some insight there into the demonic world. Uh, verse 46, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That sounds a little, a little unkind. It's just like, hey, your mom and your, and your brothers are outside. Ah, that's all right. Let them stay. Uh, because my real family are those who believe in me. But he, you know, he's not trying to be rude to his, to his own family, but he's simply making a profound spiritual statement that uh, there's a greater bond spiritually than there is by blood. And, um, and the family of God is what ultimately defines the family of Jesus, not his own mother and brother's. Now, if you look into chapter 13, because we're going to get into this a little bit, we still have some time here, you'll notice one parable after another. Look at chapter 13. The first one is the parable of the sower. Then in verse 24, you have the parable of the weeds. 
Uh, and that's not like weeds, like, okay, all right, some of you from the 70s, you're like, wow, I, I live that parable. No, come back, it's a different thing. And then, um, and then you have the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast in verse 31. And uh, there's more I could say there, but I won't. And, um, and then in verse 36, the parable of the weeds explained. And then you have the parables of the hidden treasure and the pearl. And then you have the parable of the net. So several parables here that Jesus is, is going to give. And his own disciples are going to ask him, why do you speak in parables? And he's going to answer that. But let's take a look at this first parable. It's the parable of the sower. And fortunately... And I say fortunately because sometimes if you've ever read through the parables that Jesus teaches, you can read them and and scratch your head and go, huh, what what is that supposed to mean? The parable of the sower is one of a couple parables that Jesus interprets himself. So we don't need to speculate what the things mean. He's going to actually interpret it further in this chapter. And so I'm going to read the parable and then we'll skip ahead to the interpretation and find out exactly what it means. And so verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Now, picture this, okay? The Sea of Galilee, Jesus' ministry takes place mostly in Capernaum, which is a town right there on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, the crowds are so large that he gets in a little boat, pushes out a little bit from shore, and he teaches from the boat in the water. Now, there's a reason. This is a practical answer to this, because the water becomes a natural amplification of his voice. This is the day before PA systems, okay? You know, we have the advantage of, of PA systems, but not in that day. But he pushes out from shore into a boat, and he uses the water as a natural amplification for his voice, and he's going to teach the people. He's in the boat. They're on the shore. They're on on the Sea of Galilee, and uh, Jesus then teaches them. Verse 3, told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus will often end a parable like that. He who has ears, let him hear. If you have spiritual ears to hear this, you, you know what I'm saying. If you don't have those kind of spiritual ears, you have no clue what I'm saying. Now, his his disciples, next verse, verse 10, they came to him and they asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Now, who are the you and who are the them? The you are the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And Jesus says, you're going to understand spiritual things because you have spiritual ears. Why? Because you believe. By faith you believe, so you'll get what I'm saying. They're not a profound mystery to you, but they are to those who don't believe. Look, parables are both concealing and revealing, depending on the audience. Let me read through and then we'll talk more about it. Verse 12, whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes here from Isaiah, from the Old Testament. He says, though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Okay, they have eyes, but they, they, they don't see this. Because they don't have spiritual eyes, they have ears, but they don't get it. 
In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Now your attention. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, a few chapters back, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus did not speak in parables. He spoke very clearly. He spoke very directly. And the reason was because the Sermon on the Mount was given to his disciples, to his followers. Jesus never spoke in confusing parabolic terms to his disciples. He spoke very clearly. He spoke very matter-of-factly. But whenever he had unbelievers in the midst, and in this case he does, uh, because the context already sets that, that uh, context there, whenever he has a mixed multitude, where he's got some who believe in him by faith and some who don't, the hostile ones, the skeptics, he speaks in parables. So that those who have ears to hear will be enlightened, and those who are hostile will be confounded. Now, he does it intentionally, because in the midst of this mixed crowd of those who believe and those who are hostile, the ones who are hostile, their, their hearts then will be challenged, because they'll be like, what is this guy saying? And the ones who already know, because they have spiritual eyes and spiritual ears, they'll be going, aha, sure, we understand this. You're speaking in these terms that help us to understand the greater uh, picture of the kingdom. That's why he speaks in parables. Jesus says, there's some who are hostile towards me. They don't get it. But it's not because my words are vague. It's because their hearts are unbelieving towards me. You get what I'm saying because you have eyes and ears that hear spiritually and see spiritually. And so he then is going to interpret the parable of the sower. Look at verse 18. I'll read down through uh, verse 23. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his, heart, in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes... Because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, let me break this down with you. Here's the parable of the sower. First of all, he talks about four soils. This, again, is a farming culture. This is an agrarian culture. And so they would have been very familiar with this kind of terminology. And Jesus here talks about four types of soils. And each of the soils is seeded. And he talks about how only one is fruitful. You have four soils. Only one is good soil that produces fruit. And many times when people read this parable, they think of it in terms of the soil of salvation. Like, which soil am I? You know, have you ever read this parable and thought, you know, am I the thorny soil? Am I the good soil? Am I the, the, the stony soil? Am, am I going to heaven? Am I not? Am, am I saved? Am I not? 
This is not a parable about who is saved or who is not saved. This is a parable about fruitfulness. This is a parable about fruitfulness. How do we know that? Because Jesus ends the parable in verse 8 talking about how it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. And when he explains it, he ends it talking about fruitfulness. He talks about in the end of verse 22 what makes something unfruitful or someone unfruitful since each soil represents really you know, the, the fruitfulness in a person's life. And then in verse 23, he uh, reiterates it again. He says, But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produced a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. The key, though, to understanding some of the meaning of the parable is in what Jesus says will hinder fruitfulness. Okay? Not what makes someone saved or not saved. Four types of soil, only one is fruitful. The three other do not produce fruit. And he's going to explain when he gives the meaning here, three different reasons that hinder fruitfulness in a Christian's life. Now, now hear this because all of you might recognize something in your own life that is hindering a little bit of your own fruitfulness. You love Jesus. You're born again. You're going to heaven. But you realize that your life is not really all that fruitful. Well, there might be one of the, or more of these three reasons that Jesus says hinders fruitfulness. So as we look at the explanation between verses 18 and 23, take note, the first thing that he says hinders fruitfulness is the devil, is the devil. He says it right there in verse 19. He says, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. We need to understand that Satan is actively at work trying to hinder God's work in your life. He is doing everything he can to disrupt your life, to make it unfruitful. By tempting, by deceiving, by uh, oppressing, Satan is at work trying his best to make your life unfruitful for God. Jesus said it's, it's, it's one of the things at work trying to hinder fruitfulness. And as a result, uh, this person has the seed snatched away. And then he talks about someone who, um, the seed that is sown along the path, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Verse 21, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. Here we go. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. It's the, it's the second thing he says here. Second thing that can hinder fruitfulness, trouble or persecution. Trouble or persecution. And it doesn't really mean trouble or persecution like we all have trouble in life and we all have difficult days and, and um, persecution you know, in our lives that, uh, to one degree or another. The, the context is, verse 21, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word. Because of the word. So in other words, he, he's saying that when you live out your life for Christ, you're living it according to the word, there will be people who will give you a difficult time and they will uh, persecute you, if you will. Now, of course, not to the degree that our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are being persecuted, literally to death and, and being imprisoned. But to different degrees, you will experience some trouble, if you will, some persecution from other people. And if you let that weigh you down, you won't be very fruitful for God. 
If you allow what other people say to harass you, to mock you, to make fun of you because you're living your life for Christ, if you allow that to affect you, you will not be as fruitful for God. We have to learn to do as we were talking about on Sunday morning. We have to learn to silence the voice of the rabble, realize that there's people out there who have no good intention about trying to encourage you in your relationship with the Lord. And you have to just kind of silence your voices and realize it's, just, it's the voice of the rabble, it's the mixed multitude, it's the people who are trying to derail and to distract my relationship with Jesus. Let them say what they want to say. I'm still moving on and living my life for Jesus. Because if you allow those people to give you trouble and persecution for being a Christian, you're not, you won't be as fruitful for the Lord. You have to learn to silence those, vo- those voices. And then the last thing Jesus says here in verse 22, the one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But notice, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. So he spells it out for us. He says a combination of the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth will also lead to the lack of fruitfulness in our lives. The worries of life. Everybody worries to some degree or another. I mean, it's not good, but I'm just saying in our human nature, we tend to worry. Uh, Jesus addresses this in a large section in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He talks about not worrying. Look at the birds. They don't worry. They're not on Prozac. Look at, look at you know, the, the lilies of the field. Solomon addressed in all of his splendor was not dressed like these lilies of the field, and, and yet they don't, they don't worry. And he says, you know, God's going to take care of you. Are you not much more valuable than sparrows? And so we have to constantly be reminded because our fleshly nature will want to be worrying. We want to have anxiety. We want to have fear. That's just the sinful human nature. We have to constantly be getting that under the subjection of the Holy Spirit. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Great verses to help us deal with fear and worry. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a very important verse. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. God says, don't be anxious for anything. So instead of worrying, he calls us to pray. He says, instead of being anxious, pray through prayer and supplication. We approach the throne of grace with thanksgiving. That's an important thing. A lot of people just want to pray. We don't want to thank God. We don't want to come with worship. We just want to come with all our, you know, bless me, God, and meet my needs, and it's all about me. No, he says, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make our requests known to God. And he says, here's his promise, the peace, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Passing all understanding just simply means you will then have a peace from the Lord that won't always make rational sense. And some people around you will be like, how can you be so at ease when your world is just exploding and your personal life is in such you know, shambles? And you can just say, because I know the Lord who's on the throne and he's given me a peace that passes all understanding. He has bypassed my ability to comprehend it and he has ministered his peace to my heart and to my mind to guard it in Christ Jesus. And that's what God does. And we need to get that into our hearts, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Because Jesus says, worries of this life, it'll choke out fruitfulness. As well as the deceitfulness of wealth. Now notice, he doesn't say money itself. Some people misquote in 1 Timothy, it talks about uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of it. And the deceitfulness of wealth is when we believe the lies that if I just had more money, I'd be happier. 
Those are the kind of lies that are attached often to wealth. If I just had more money, if I just had more possessions, I'd be more fulfilled. I'd be happier. I'd be more content. That's a lie. Ask people with money. They, they, they wrestle with the same kind of stuff that everybody else does. And the people with money have even greater burdens in some ways because they have, they have now more responsibility with more wealth. And, and they have more to protect because people want to steal it. And they have to, you know, shun more family members who want a piece of the pie. Because the more you have that, everybody's grabbing at you because they want some. So it carries its own set of griefs when you have more money. The, the, the deceitfulness of wealth is to believe, oh, yeah, money money's the cure-all. If I just had more money, hey, money's a wonderful thing. It makes a wonderful servant. It makes a terrible master. You can use money in a wonderful way to bless people and bless the kingdom of God. But if, if money is allowed to rule you, it is a terrible master. It makes a wonderful servant. There's nothing wrong with money. God blesses people. But it is the deceitfulness of wealth that will choke out the fruitfulness with God. If you just go home and Google the challenges that people have had in their lives after they won the lottery. There's all this great thing about, you know, win the lottery, win the mega millions, and then your life is going to be... You go home and Google the misery of the people's lives who won the lottery. It is amazing to read about just all that they've been through as a result of just getting one big lump sum. And I started actually reading, you know, for those of you who like, I like to play the lottery. Is anything wrong? Don't play the lottery, Okay. That is gambling away what God has given you. I read some statistics on the lottery. The odds of winning the mega million jackpot, which is, you know, now they got this huge multi, multi-million dollar jackpot thing going. One in 176 million. That's your chance. One in 176 million. Let me put it in perspective for you. I did some research. This will be enlightening to you. You have a better chance, okay, of picking a perfect NCAA bracket. One in 13 and a half million. That's your chance for picking a perfect March Madness bracket every single game. Birthing identical quadruplets. One in 13 million. That's your chance. Becoming an astronaut. One in 12 million. Becoming president of the United States. One in 10 million. That's your chance. I wouldn't want it, but that's your chance. Dying by a hornet's bee sting. One in six million. Becoming a movie star, one in 1.5 million. Dying by being hit by an asteroid, one in 12,500. That sounds really bad to me, doesn't it? One in 12,500. The odds are, are pretty stacked against us. We're going to die by an asteroid hit. Losing an appendage to a chainsaw. <laughs> I just wanted to send you home with this. One in 4,464. Man, stay away from chainsaws. But again, one in 176 million to win the lotto. Don't play the lottery, okay? Don't. And if you happen to and you win it, then tithe the Cornerstone Chapel. That's all I got to say on that. 10% to God's work, baby. That's all I got to say on that. But these three things will produce unfruitfulness in our lives. They will choke out the fruitfulness of our lives. The devil, just understand, he's on the prowl like a roaring lion looking for those who might devour. He's going to constantly be trying to attack and to uh, weigh you down and uh, work on you. And so don't allow the enemy. Greater is the Lord within you than he that is in the world. Uh, don't allow trouble or persecution from other people to distract you from your fruitfulness with the Lord. And don't allow the worries of this life 
and the deceitfulness of wealth uh, to uh, cause us to be unfruitful. Thanks for joining Pastor Gary today for this study in the Gospel of Matthew on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to hear this teaching again or explore additional messages, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc and click on Teachings. You can download our mobile app, too, while you're there. It's under On The Go. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we want to invite you to join us for church at Cornerstone Chapel. We're meeting each Sunday in person at 8.30 and 11.45, as well as on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. CornerstoneConnection.cc is the place to get all the information you need, along with directions to our campus. You can also see what's going on during the week and what Cornerstone Chapel offers in the way of small groups, youth ministry, and more. And you can meet the staff. If you're not able to join us in person right now, that's okay. We're live streaming each Sunday and Wednesday service at cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you have any questions for us, or if you'd like to share a prayer request, please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining us to study Matthew, and we hope you'll tune in again to learn more about Jesus. That's right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know